Happy Saturday, KBLA Talk 1580 listeners. Today is Saturday, January 29th, 2022. And yes, you have tuned into the right place. You are listening to Legal Lens with Angela Reddock Wright, where we bring law to light each Saturday and Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. We're broadcasting to you live from Lamert Park, USA. Lamert Park, USA, which is part of the Los Angeles Crenshaw District, is home to a big part of Los Angeles Black history and culture. And just outside our KBLA Talk 1580 um, station, I was reminded that we have a major project happening here in the Lamert Park area called Destination Crenshaw. It's going to be Exactly what it says, a destination for you to come and learn about the art and history and culture of Black Los Angeles. It'll be filled with art and music and and so many things that represent the current Black Los Angeles as well as the history of Black Los Angeles. So we're certainly excited about that project. Today is, as I stated, is January 29th and it's Oprah Winfrey's birthday. Happy birthday, Oprah. We love you. And thank you for our to our Legal Lens show jingle writer and performer, J-Star. You can follow her at J-Star Music on Instagram. She's doing some great things, writing for television, doing some of her own projects. So excited and, and so excited that she is a part of our Legal Lens team. You can follow me throughout the week, not just on Saturday, but throughout the week at I am Angela Reddock Wright on Facebook and Instagram to learn the latest about our show and other work we're doing in the legal community. It also gives us an opportunity to hear from you, to hear what you want to um, learn more about in terms of the law and learn in terms of policy. Who are some of the leaders and influencers in law and policy that you would like to meet? We want to bring them on the show and we want to have them answer your questions and provide insights to the things that are most important to you. So be sure to follow us at I am Angela Reddock Wright so we can hear from you. It's not just about promoting me or promoting the show, but it's an opportunity to discuss and to engage and hear what's most important to you. Um, thank you to our listeners near and far. We're starting to build our audience and I'm just so grateful for those that tune in from week to week and that encourage their family and friends and folks in your network to tune in. So thank you. Please Please continue to listen and continue to spread the word because uh, we cannot have a radio show, a talk show in particular, without you. Um, If we're just talking to ourselves, then that doesn't mean too much. So we want to make sure that we're talking with you, engaging with you, discussing with uh, discussing 
legal topics, policy topics with you and that are important to you. So thank you for your support. Could not do it without you. I want to give a quick shout out to my engineer today, Kamal. Many of you have heard me um, introduce and acknowledge the engineers and the producers behind the scenes. And just so you know, Tavis Smiley has brought together a group of young adults who are amazing. And in addition to the work that they do here at KBLA Talk 1580, they are out and about doing great things in the world. And I'm just excited to see them blossom and to have them as a part of my team. So thank you, um, Kamal, for, um, for all the great engineering you're going to do today. So we're on for the next hour. So go ahead and grab your coffee, your tea, and settle in to engage with us. If you are in the L.A area, you can tune in directly on your radio for those of us who still have radios in our homes. And of course, we have them in our cars. You can tune in at 1580 AM or you can download the app and listen to us anytime, anywhere in the world by downloading our app KBLA Talk 1580. Give us a call on our power lines at 1-800-920-1580. Today, you definitely want to give us a call because we have um, joining us the Honorable Holly J. Mitchell, Madam Chairwoman, or Madam Chair, uh, Chair of the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors and um, Supervisor to the 2nd District of Los Angeles County. She will be on with us, and I'm sure she would love to hear from you, uh, love to hear your um, questions, your comments about things that are happening throughout Los Angeles County and particularly in the 2nd District. So go ahead and give us a call on our power lines at one 800 920 one five eight zero, and what we're going to do with uh, Chairwoman Mitchell today, Supervisor Mitchell, is we're going to go behind the scenes a little bit. You know, we're definitely going to get into the policy initiatives that um, she has on deck for the second district as well as th- for entire LA County. But um, we're going to peel back the onion a little bit and go behind the scenes and learn a little bit more about um, her childhood, um, her growing up here in Los Angeles, the influence of her parents on her life. What motivates her every day to be the great leader that she is. And of course, I want to um, today, our music is dedicated to Janet Jackson. Um, many of you probably watched the Janet Jackson um, part one of the Lifetime documentary on Janet Jackson last night. It's great. I forgot so many things about Janet Jackson, for example, that she was on fame and um, she was a protege of Debbie Allen in in some respects. Um, So it was really great to see that. So we are dedicating today's songs to um, Janet Jackson and in tribute to Janet Jackson. So of course, I'm going to ask the supervisor, what's her favorite Janet Jackson song, her favorite, what she was doing in 1986? uh, Where was she professionally when Janet Jackson's um, song that freed her? came out in the album Control that came out and kind of freed her and and helped her to become the woman that she is today. So we're excited to talk to the supervisor. Give us a call. Um, I also want to pick her brain on this topic, um, picking up from Mariva Martin um, out loud just before me and a number of the hosts this past week. We're talking about President Biden and the historic opportunity he has to appoint our next Supreme Court justice. And he has promised that that nominee will be a black woman, an African-American woman. And so I'm excited about that. I hope you are as well. Love to have Supervisor Mitchell weigh in on that as well. 
And it's interesting that we we have the opportunity to talk about that subject today, because on this day in history, you know, I always like to share a little history with you and historical facts. But on this day in history, in January 29th, 1926, there was an attorney, Violet Neatly Anderson, Violet V-I-O-L-E-T-T-E, Neatly Anderson. Um, she was an assistant prosecutor for the city of Chicago, the first appointed to that position, the first African-American woman po- appointed to that position, by the way. But on January 29th, 1926, she was the first black woman to be admitted to practice before the United States Supreme Court. So I don't know if you all know this, but um, just because someone is an attorney um, licensed in whatever state that they're licensed in, it doesn't mean that they can be admitted to argue or to practice before the United States Supreme Court. You actually have to be pretty distinguished in your career. You have to apply to argue before the um, United States Supreme Court. So it's not just something that the everyday lawyer gets to do. And for those of us in our profession, you all know I'm a lawyer. I, um, I'm a mediator and arbitrator. I, I specialize in mediating and arbitrating employment law disputes. And I also do workplace investigations. And so um, when we see someone in our profession that goes on to be one nominee, as a judge and certainly have the opportunity to argue before the United States Supreme Court, we are excited for them because we know that that is a distinction that's not given to many. So today we honor the legacy of attorney Violet Neatly Anderson of Chicago, who on January 29th, 1926, was the first black woman to be admitted to practice before the United States Supreme Court. And so we're going to continue that discussion as we talk about this historic opportunity that President Biden has to nominate a black woman to the United States Supreme Court to replace Justice Stephen Breyer, who announced this week that he is resigning um, or he's stepping down from the court. He's 83 years old. Um, so it's great to see that um, that's, that's a whole nother conversation about passing the mantle and creating opportunities for others. So it's great to see that Justice Breyer is willing to step down now to ensure an opportunity uh, that pre- for President Biden to nominate someone doing his administration. And uh, Justice Breyer has indicated that he's hopeful that the next person nominated will carry on his legacy and won't um, cause a setback to some of the opinions and the legal issues that he's taken up during his time on the court. Um, there are a number of contenders. The front runners con- considered to be Katanji Brown Jackson, who ser- currently serves on the Federal Appeals Court in the District of Columbia. And then and she actually clerked for Justice Breyer a number of years ago. Then there's our very own California Supreme Court Justice Leandra Kruger. I imagine Senator, um, Supervisor Mitchell has met her and, and knows her. So definitely look forward to getting those insight insights. And others are included um, J. Michelle Childs, who's a federal district court judge in South Carolina, and Sherilyn Eiffel, the outgoing president of the NAACP Legal Defense Month. Um, fun among others. So stay tuned. Um, When we come forward, we will begin our discussion with Madam Chair, 
the Honorable Holly J. Mitchell, Chair of the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors and Supervisor of my very own district, the 2nd District of Los Angeles County, a woman I've known and admired and watched for years. So I'm so excited to have an opportunity to um, get to know her better and have you get to know her better and find out what what her key policy goals and initiatives are in this historic role as the first African-American woman chair. Well, and I'm, you know what? I'm going to correct that. I'm not sure if she's the first. I believe Supervisor Yvonne Brathwaite-Burke. So um, Supervisor Mitchell, you can definitely correct me if I'm wrong. So stay tuned. Give us a call on our power lines, 1-800-920-1580. You are listening to KBLA Talk 1580, Legal Lens with Angela Redock-Wright. And guess what? We have a lot to talk about. More of Legal Lens with Angela Reddick-Bright. Helping you see legal issues more clearly when we come forward. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. This is Angela Reddock Wright with Legal Lens with Angela Reddock Wright, where we bring law to light each Saturday and Sunday. That is Janet Jackson Control when she established her independence in 1986. And we are paying tribute today to her with all of our songs uh, in light of her Lifetime documentary, which we've all been waiting for and, and watching with great excitement. Um, with us today, I am so excited. We have the chair, Madam Chair, with us, the Honorable Holly Mitchell, Chair of the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors and the Supervisor for the Second District of Los Angeles. Give us a call so you can speak to her, ask her questions, comments that are on your mind at 1 800 920 1580. Kamal, let's go ahead and bring in um, the chair. Um, our Madam Chair, Holly Mitchell, and um, while you're bringing her in, I'm just going to give you a few highlights of her career. She was elected to the Board of Supervisors on um, are installed on November 3rd, 2020. She represents the 2nd District of, of L.A. County, including areas like Lamarck Park, my own Carson, California, Compton, California, Culver City, El Segundo, and so many other great cities within Los Angeles uh, within the 2nd District, which overall is 162 miles. So that's quite a bit of breadth. L.A. County, did you know this, folks? It's like its own little small state. She is the chair of the board, in addition to representing her own district, the chair of the board of all of Los Angeles County, which is over 4,000 square miles, has over 11 million residents, 27% of California's population. It includes 88 cities, 140 cultures, and 224 languages. Prior to the Board of Supervisors, she served in the California legislature, both as an assemblywoman and senator for over about 10 years. She authored 90 bills, over 90 bills while there, one of them being the California Crown Act, which we will talk about today. And she and I'll, I'll end it here so we can get her into the d discussion. But many folks don't know the significance of this. But while in the California legislature, she was the first African-American woman to serve as chair of the Senate Budget and Fiscal Review Committee. What does that mean, folks? That means she was in charge of the money. And we can thank her. Many are thanking Governor Newsom, but we can really thank um, Supervisor Mitchell and the work of her committee and others in um, in the Senate at that time who helped to create California's reserves that we're experiencing right now. So welcome, Chairwoman, Madam Chair, Supervisor Holly Mitchell. How are you today? 
Oh, Sister Reddick Wright, I am doing well. Uh, enjoyed your opening, uh, reminding us all of um, our dance moves and our effort to emulate Janet's hairstyle in that video in 1986. I was right there uh, along with you and everybody trying to be Janet. Right. <laughs> did you have your little Janet hat and your one key earring or did you go that far? I didn't go that far, but I sure was sitting up in, uh, I think I was going to Simply Raw at the time, and I sure was trying to get the hairstyle. Okay. <laughs> oh, yes. I remember Simply Raw. That was the place back in the day. Where were you in your career in 1986? You've had such a, I was, um, a great career. Where were you at that time? I was just coming out of undergrad at UC Riverside and embarking on my Coral Foundation Fellowship something we um, share in common kind of, go coro yeah <laughs> just uh, i was a coral foundation fellow here in los angeles which is a um postgraduate training program in public affairs uh very competitive program i, I was the only african-american in the program that year so it was a learning experience for me and my other 11 fellow corons uh, but that's where i was in 1986 Wonderful. And I'm sorry to, to date you or try to make you older than you are by saying, where were you in your career? You were just fresh out of college in 1986. So that that's great to hear. And well, speaking of Coral, I wasn't necessarily planning to get into this, but I'm wondering if Coral for you, like it was for me, was sort of the beginning of my interest in politics and policy and government and how it all works. Was that the beginning for you or did your, your interest start earlier than that? It was not the beginning. Um, I, at a strangely young age, had an interest in public policy. Um, I figured out that there were elected bodies of people mm -hmm. that made decisions that really impacted every aspect of our lives. And I remember the passage of Prop 13 and going to school and hearing teachers say, oh, we don't have any more paper or colored pencils. You know, they talked about this proposition. I remember my local library, like, having reduced hours. And then I began to notice differences in communities across Los Angeles. And there were communities that seemed to be thriving and prosperous and those that were not. And so that's really what began my interest in policymaking and figuring out ways in which every community can have the resources and community members can have really personal agency to advocate for themselves. So for me, Coral was my way of learning how to problem solve, how to be an advocate, to learn the intricate workings of government, but I already had the interest before I applied for the Coral Foundation Fellowship. Yes, yes. And it's interesting that you say that you um, developed that interest as a young child. It is, um, you know, you probably were pretty young by average standards to be tuned into such issues and engaged in such issues. Um, but I have a feeling that maybe your parents were a part of that interest as well. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and your parents and, and how they influenced you in terms of where you are now and your leadership style. I appreciate that. You know, I'm a product of Lamert Park, okay. uh, born and raised uh, at the intersection of Lamert and Stocker Street. Yes, famous intersection. And my, <laughs> yes, and my parents actually met in the late 50s as eligibility workers working for L.A. County Department of Public Social Services. 
And as a young kid, you know, most of the adults in my life either worked for the county or they were on the county. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what I understood from watching my parents and that interaction was that the function of government was to help people who needed it. Mm-hmm. And government is, is, operates based on people who are engaged, people who are willing to be public servants to make government work. So I think, you know, I've only worked either in the nonprofit sector or for government, quite frankly. So my entire career has been mission-driven, and I'm very fortunate for that. And it sounds like that uh, was, you know, in, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it sounds like I that was, was intentional. Say, you know, watching, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. You know, and watching my parents um, be of service really helped fuel my desire to not only continue that tradition, but going back to what I said earlier, this notion that there are communities that have more than others and a deep recognition of the impact poverty has had, quite frankly, in the African-American community and what we can do from government's perspective to really uh, be a poverty disruptor, particularly to disrupt the multi-generational impacts poverty has on black people. Indeed, indeed. And um, on that point, um, you have been on the board of, um, you began on the board of supervisors in November 2020, and you became the chair just this December, December 2021? Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. w- when you started in November 2020, you didn't wait, you didn't say, oh, let me see how things work. Let me, you know, kind of take a year just to figure out what's happening. You literally hit the ground running. And speaking of poverty and the alleviation of poverty, from reading some of the work you've done on the board, it it feels like you hit the ground running on that very issue. And you've passed landmark uh, legislation, for example, the universal income program, um, mental health programs for um, unhoused residents, and some other things that show your commitment to helping to alleviate poverty in L.A. County and in the second district. Tell us more about some of your your policy initiatives since you've been on the board. Well, I appreciate that. My uh, chief of staff, who is your fellow uh, member of the bar, has a great one line because a number of people have, you know, talked about, wow, you really kind of, you know, came out here fast. Right. And so, yeah, there was a learning curve for the county. But as Frederica says, we may be new to the county but we're not new to the game. Mm, mm-hmm. And this was not a time to um, be a wallflower given the work the county can and must do to help L.A. County residents recover from this dual pandemic, a public health and an economic pandemic. When you consider the disproportionate impact this virus has had on our community in the 2nd District, I had a responsibility to lean in and lean in hard to make sure that I was bringing resources to the residents from standing up uh, testing sites and vaccination sites early on in the process to, you know, holding the county as a whole accountable to this notion of equity. Mm -hmm. Equity can't just be talk. Equity, Equity has to be operationalized. And as the federal government has rolled out amazing resources to help local governments recover from the CARES Act initially now to the American Rescue um, Plan Act. 
we have a responsibility to make sure those dollars are invested equitably. So as I began my chairmanship year, I was very clear that like the president's talking about building back better here in L.A. County, we're going to build back equitably. If there are communities that have been disproportionately harmed or neglected or underinvested in, they deserve and should be entitled to a disproportionate level of investment. So we've introduced a number of motions supporting L.A. County's anti-racism initiative to stand up a process by which county departments have an equity lens and are developing programs and prioritizing funding from an equity perspective. I love it. I love it. And a shout out to Frederica McGee, who I we actually kind of grew up uh, around each other in the city of Compton. So um, we tend to quote people on this show. So Frederica, we're definitely going to borrow um, your quote about not being new to the game. Um, and so equity that, you know, that's the buzzword of the day of the day, diversity, equity, inclusion. And now I heard the newest word belonging. And that's kind of creating environments where people aren't just there, but they feel that they belong in those environments. So it's awesome to hear that you're making that a cornerstone of your time as a supervisor and as chair of the board. What would you say, um, you know, you can kind of give us some insights that we might normally may not normally hear about or have access to. What would you say is one of the biggest misnomers or things that people don't understand about L.A. County in terms of the government and the power um, that we are that we have to make change through our L.A. County government system? Where, where would you say that you would love to see people understand more and access more and and understand the, the literal power of the L.A. County governmental system? You know, I'm so glad you asked that question because, you know, leading up to kind of running for the office and during my experience as a candidate, I would spend most of my time talking to voters or just general community members about what the county does before I could even get into my conversation about why I wanted to be their next supervisor. And so it's a level of government people don't often understand. People get the federal level, they get the state level, the governor, you get your city council and the mayor, but this board of supervisors seems to be the best kept secret um, in town. And Supervisor, yeah. I'm going to ask you to hold that thought. Uh, you probably know on radio and TV we have heart news stops. So continue that thought. We're going to um, talk about the power of L.A. County government, what it actually does, what should we expect from a county government compared to federal, state, and local or city government. And we're going to continue our discussion with the Madam Chairwoman, Holly J. Mitchell, Chair of the L.A. County Board of Supervisors. Give us a call at 1-800-920-1580. KBLA Talk 1580. We have a lot to talk about. More of Legal Lens with Angela Reddick Wright. Helping you see legal issues more clearly when we come forward. Hot button political, economic, social, and cultural issues as seen through a legal lens. Now back to Angela Reddick Wright. Happy Saturday, folks. Today is Saturday, January 29th, and you are tuned in to KBLA Talk 1580, Legal Lens with Angela Redock-Wright. That's Janet Jackson. That's the way love goes. Yes, yes. 
We are paying tribute to Janet Jackson today in, in, in honor and acknowledgement of her Lifetime documentary. And so all of our songs today are dedicated to her. Thank you, Janet, for being uh, such a powerful voice of the 80s and 90s and of our, our generation. We are talking to L.A. County Supervisor Holly J. Mitchell, who is the chair of the L.A. County Board of Supervisors and also represents the 2nd District. And just before the break, she was telling telling us about the role of L.A. County government and what distinguishes it from, say, the federal government, the state government, and even our city government. But Supervisor, Madam Chair, before we jump back into that, one, I want to let you know that uh, we have a number of listeners today, and one of them in particular is Nicole Vick. And um, I believe you know her. She's one of your supporters and a health advocate. She's been on our show before, so she wanted to be sure to let you know that she's on the line and to give a shout out to her. So thank you for listening, Nicole. I appreciate that. And Nicole is a member of the county family when we talk about what the county does. Nicole is a perfect example. She works for the County Department of Public Health. And that's the department that has um, really guided us through this current public health pandemic. People have seen Nicole's boss, Dr. Barbara Ferrer, on the news. Yes. Who is telling us, you know, what the daily COVID numbers are. She's like so our, our Dr. I, Fauci. I, I joke. <laughs> Dr. Yeah, Herrera, she's, she's like, our Dr. Fauci. <laughs> right. Exactly. And as I have said, in the last year, people might not have known the relevance of the county government, but thanks to the Department of Public Health and all of those who work there who showed up every day yes. to give us our vaccines and to run the testing sites, people understood the value of public health. And so for me, the county level of government is really the safety net. Uh, it's the runs the programs and provides the direct service that most of us, quite frankly, rely on more than other levels of government. Yes. Department of Mental Health, all of our mental health facilities, public health and Department of Health Care Services. So our county hospitals, our county health clinics, when you think about the protection of children, um, child um, Department of Child and Family Services, the Child Welfare Services Division that protects children who are at risk in our community, to probation, to county park and rec, the Natural History Museum, mm -hmm. LACMA, our county museums. So the county is a huge level of government, a $36 billion annual budget, about 36 departments, 112,000 employees. The county is one of the largest employers in L.A. County. And so, you know, I've spent most of my career, as I said, working on programs that I think have direct impact on my community, focusing really on creating an, a, a L.A. County where every child has the opportunity to not only survive but thrive. And so it's the county services, um, CalWORKs, food mm -hmm. stamps, the provision of child care for low-income working families. It's the county and the county family of employees that do those eligibility determinations, make those payments, provide those direct services to county residents. Right, right. Uh, you know, as, as you well know in Carson, the issue we've had recently with um, um, both the sewage spill the first part of the year and the horror, horrible odor in the Dominguez Channel the end of last year, it was, you know, county agencies that stepped up to the plate and were the lead in helping to facilitate um, a solution, quite frankly, to those problems and help with the cleanup. 
and support um, county residents and partner with the city leaders of Carson. So county government is vast and wide, um, and it's it's really, I think, Angela, the, the not sexy behind-the-scenes level of government. Yes. I have learned so much in this past year by virtue of being on the board. I serve on the sanitation districts. Interesting. Um, okay. I serve on the, something called LAFCO. That's like a county. That oh, makes, go ahead. I, I serve on an agency called LAFCO that mm-hmm. makes decisions about what communities are actually cities or in unincorporated areas. It's these elements of government that I don't think we don't think about initially, but they're foundational to our ability to survive. Yes, indeed, indeed. And you, you've touched on a few things. I want to see if we can tie it together. In our earlier segment, you mentioned um, President Biden and the infrastructure plan and the Build Back Better plan. And now you've uh, mentioned about the sewage issue and one of the cities within L.A. Um, County and your district, the city of Carson. So tell us a little bit more about what's the importance of, say, the dollars that flow down from the federal government down to L.A. County and how in your role as a supervisor and as chair are you in, in a former state senator and assemblywoman ensuring that we make those linkages between um, what our L.A. County gets from the federal government, the state government, and even how that flows down into our, our local cities. Um, what, what, what would be a key takeaway in terms of how all of those things link together? Great question. So when I was in the state legislature and chaired the budget committee, you know, we would make allocations to local governments. Um, we would set the budget about what the state was going to fund, for example, um, our juvenile justice system, how much we were going to pay to support kids in foster care. Um, and so now at the county level, I'm in receipt of those funds and making sure that they are being spent really at the ground level. With the new federal dollars we're getting as a result of the American Rescue Plan, again, I talked about building back equitably. If you tune in at the beginning of our Board of Supervisors meetings on Tuesdays, you'll see something called a a standing um, agenda item where we have the CEO of the county report to us on a very granular level how those dollars are being spent. And you'll hear myself and other members of the board really pushing hard to make sure that we're supporting community-based agencies to get those dollars and services out into the community, and we're pushing them out as fast as possible. So for me, you know, it's like I've come down from a 10,000-foot level to a 5,000-foot level and really able to directly impact where dollars go and how quickly they hit the streets. I love it. Again, I talked about our our equity lens, making sure that every county department understands that within the county there are communities that have been harder hit than others and how we develop systems and programs to support them. One very specific example You know, we've provided rent relief, the state, the city, and the county provided rent relief to tenants who were suffering as a result of COVID. Well, we've used at the county some of our ARPA dollars to help small businesses, minority women-owned businesses, and even micro-businesses who've fallen behind on their commercial lease rent. And so we, um, literally my staff and I, walked all of the unincorporated areas in my district for example, Ladera and the, the small businesses along the Slauson Corridor, as well as Florence, Firestone, and other communities in the 2nd District, to make sure those small and minority-owned businesses 
knew about this program and that they applied to get rent relief. I'm proud because of that really kind of grassroots, door-to-door outreach. Um, the second district had the most small businesses apply for those grants for their rent relief. And so that's the way in which we are engaging with community and bringing services that we know our residents need. Excellent. You are doing amazing, amazing work. And I'm, I'm, I'm already wishing that we had at least two hours with you because if you saw my list of questions and things I wanted to talk to you about, um, we could probably go on all day today, but let's do this. Um, we're going to, in a, just a few seconds here, we're going to um, move forward to our next segment with the commercial break. Um, but I want to do a, a little deeper dive on what the county's doing around the pandemic since it's still with us. Um, housing, next week we're having Congresswoman Karen Basson along with Marquise Harris-Dawson, and they touch on housing issues and this big issue of homelessness or the unhoused in L.A. County. So I want to talk to you a little bit more about that. But on the line, we have one of your fans. We have Clark, who is with Daryl's New Orleans Grill in Carson, California, and he wants to give you some congratulatory remarks. Good morning, Clark. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm a big fan. Matter of fact, I'm president of Supervisors Mitchell's Fan Club. Oh, I've been knowing okay. her since 1988 <laughs> with Senator Diane Watson. <laughs> good, good. I, I I didn't know there was a fan club that we can join, so yes, I need well, to I'm become the vice president. president. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you're with Daryl's New Orleans Grill. Are you Daryl? Yeah, thank you so much. I'm Norwood. Okay. I am Norwood. Norwood Clark. Norwood, it is Norwood. It is amazing to hear your voice. Yes, we go <laughs> way you, back. Lady. Way and back. Way we go back. way back to um, the fact that we're on KBLA. You know, Tavis and I and several others. We were young staffers at the time, late eighties, early nineties. Formed an organization, Twenty First Century Leadership Council, oh, with wow. another attorney, uh, Zena Portlock Houston. Oh yes, and Shout out to uh, Zena. with yes, yes, and with uh, Kim Evans. Um, that's when I met Norwood, and we, we had ideas that we were going to change the world. Now, <laughs> Norwood was the commercial route and Uncle, opened Uncle Daryl's and is doing very well, and I'm still over here struggling public service. But thank you for calling in. It's <laughs> wonderful to hear your voice. Well, we, yeah, we thank need you people. so much. Thank you, Norwood, for calling in. And a shout-out to Daryl's New Orleans Grill in Carson. It's a great, great place, especially as we approach February and Mardi Gras and um, all of that would be a great place to get some of your New Orleans um, tasty treats. Um, so we will be back in just a second, continuing our conversation with Supervisor Chairwoman Holly Mitchell. Touch a little b- a bit on COVID and housing and then see if we can get a few thoughts from her on the California Crown Act and the Supreme Court nomination before us. So stay tuned. KBLA Talk 1580. We're talking to Chairwoman Supervisor Holly J. Mitchell. You're tuned into KBLA Talk 1580. This is Angela Wright Legal Lens with Angela Wright, And that's Janet Jackson, Rhythm Nation. Hoping some of the our Janet Jackson tribute songs are getting you going on this Saturday. We are talking to L.A. County Supervisor and Chair of the Board of Supervisors, Holly J. Mitchell. Chairwoman Mitchell, what's your favorite Janet Jackson song? You know, I, I you asked that at the top of the show, and I thought, oh, God, what is it? And I just think In Control. Yes. It was at a time in her life that was a similar time of my life in terms of kind of coming of age. Yes. And really deciding that we were grown enough 
um, and prepare to be in control of our own destiny. destiny. Indeed, indeed. So uh, I'm proud to see how far she's come. Exactly, exactly. So we're at that point in the show where I'm going to try to tie together a few topics to maximize our time together. So we have a question from Wilma of Carson, one of your constituents, and she mentions the power of the census and that the census is one of the ways, our primary way, that um, it's determined that how funds will be allocated to certain communities and that communities communities um, in some of the areas that you represent, um, maybe sometimes get the low end of the, the stick when um, based on the, our census responses and, and how funds are allocated based on that. So can you touch on that? But in the in the tying it together, give us an update to um, where the county is in terms of um, helping keep the county residents safe in terms of COVID and also where the county fits into this um, issue of housing and the unhoused and homeless. I appreciate that. The census is really very important. And quite frankly, California got uh, the short end of the stick in our last census collection. The previous federal administration um, was determined to make sure that communities of color and underrepresented communities um, didn't get the support they needed to make sure that their census numbers were counted. And so, you know, California lost congressional seat when we saw in our redistricting a lot of the new districts were in outlying areas as opposed to the urban centers where we know uh, communities of color live. Our uh, Latino brothers and sisters um, communicated pretty consistently that they were afraid. And there's this notion under that previous federal administration that, you know, government wasn't for us but was coming for us. And so I think it's going to take us a while to recover, to reestablish a sense of confidence, um, and belief in our government system. Yes. And I feel very strongly about that because it's communities of color who typically rely on government services more so than others. And so um, these communities have to feel a level of confidence that they will be seen, that their needs will be met, so government can deliver. Yes. With regard to the unhoused, I look forward to listening to your show with our mayoral candidate, Jared Bass, and uh, Councilman Marquise Harris-Dawson. The districts we all, the three of us currently represent, overlap and is home to the highest percentage of unhoused L.A. County residents. And we have to have a frank conversation about how we got here. Um, we are 500,000 housing units short of what Angelinos need. We have underinvested in our mental health systems and our substance use disorder systems, our board and care um, facilities are closing their doors left and right. In fact, I'll be with the governor tomorrow. Uh, I was advocating for a number of years before I left the state legislature to re redirect more funding to that sector because it was a great way for people who need support in their housing quest um, to have that in these board and care homes with, you know, six residents. And so the, the governor and I will be in the 2nd District tomorrow um, acknowledging some new state funding that will come to facilities like one that will be opening in the second district very soon. So we have got to direct resources, have frank conversations about the kind of housing what we must build, where we must build it, and for whom. It's not a matter of putting up a building and expecting people to move in and be okay. We recognize that there are a variety of reasons that lead people to being unhoused. For black women, in many instances, it's um, domestic violence. It's a lack of affordability. They're working two and three jobs and just can't afford the rent in L.A. 
For some, it's um, uh, long, untreated mental illness and substance uh, abuse. And so we have to build the kind of housing that people need, the kind of housing with the wraparound supports, which is the primary job of the county level of government, to help them be successful and stay housed. Every day, Angela, uh, over 200 people are housed as a result of every level of government and all the nonprofit organizations working together to find people and get them in the appropriate housing. And yet, every day, Angela, 200 new people lose their housing. And so it feels like we're bailing water out of this sinking ship, and we can't bail out fast enough to get really kind of above sea level. So we've got to work harder and faster and smarter to meet the needs of every Angelino. Yes. Thank you for those insights. We are going to continue this conversation, the last part of our conversation. In just a couple minutes, we're talking to Holly J. Mitchell, Chair of the Board of of Los Angeles County Supervisors. Stay tuned. You're listening to the all-new Weekend Lineup of enlightening, encouraging, and empowering talk shows. Exclusively on KBLA Talk 1580. We've got a lot to talk about. And folks, there you have it. That is my all-time favorite Janet Jackson songs. I get so lonely. Not because I'm lonely, but I that beat when Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis created that beat that in my mind... They created one of the best beats out there. We are talking to, thank you, Kamal. Uh, we're talking to L.A. County Supervisor, the Chairwoman, Holly J. Mitchell. Clearly, we are going to have to have her come back. We have not had enough time with her. And I just want to say, um, Chairwoman, that you have an open invitation to the Legal Lens Show. So I'm, I want to bring you back to talk about the Crown Act, talk about COVID. A shout out to you for your work around Bruce Beach and helping that family to regain their rights to that property. Um, shout out to you and Councilman Marquise Harris Dawson this week for um, contributing funds to the reward offer um, offer for um, finding the killer of 16 year old Tiani Theus. So so many issues we didn't even have a chance to touch the surface of, but I think we cannot let this day and moment go by without again congratulating you on becoming the chair of the LA County Board of Supervisors. What a historic moment and and you're just the right woman for this this point of our history and time and so kudos to you what does that mean to you um and it's an entirely woman female run board um five women leading over 11 million residents in la county what does that mean let's close out with with your quick thoughts on that i appreciate you and yes i would love to come back to have an uh, ongoing conversation because these are critical issues that really impact L.A.'s black community. Um, you know, as a native Angelino growing up, um, my, I have keen memories of an all-white, all-male board of supervisors. And to join the ranks of the current five all-women, but the history makers, Gloria Molina and Yvonne Brathwaite-Burke, who were the first two women to serve on that board in L.A. County's 165-year history. Um, you know, people say, what does it feel like? I said, you know, at no point did it ever occur to us to ask the man, what does it feel like to be all male on this powerful governing body? I think the time has come 
for women, for women of color to step up and do what we do best, which is lead and represent the needs of our community. Yes, thank you so much. And this is your time. Thank you for tuning in to KBLA Talk 1580. This has been Angela Redock, Right Legal Lens. Thank you, Holly J. Mitchell, for joining us today. You're amazing. Up next, Urban Wellness Now with Cynthia Brooks. Next Saturday and Sunday, we'll have Congresswoman Karen Bass and her mentee, protege, the Honorable Marquise Harris Dawson of the Los Angeles City Council. We're talking about the filibuster, the infrastructure, build back better, jobs, housing, homelessness. So definitely tune in. And happy birthday, Oprah Winfrey. And in her words, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. The ability to triumph begins with you always. Don't forget that. Have a great Saturday, folks.